after having finished medical school, met other medical students in my day-to-day work, I see grades is not actually that important. Nah, peek behind the curtain. I know some <laughs> dumb doctors. Oh, dumb. <laughs> but <laughs> I know some they're people. not bad doctors. Not bad doctors, no. no. But th- there's a lot, lot to be said about what experiences you had before coming into med school that really yeah. shapes what kind of doctor you're going to be. And in my honest opinion, I would mm. say at least 50% of the job is actually communication. Kirikoto and welcome to Revolving Door Syndrome. I'm Dr. Nina Sue, your friendly neighborhood pediatric and emergency doctor. My day job is helping sick kids get better. But lately, it's felt like I'm pushing a revolving door round and round in circles. I patch these kids up, send them back to the environment that made them sick in the first place, and they come right back through those hospital doors again. Together with my partner, Connor, we have created this podcast to deep dive into the reasons for our broken systems and perhaps find some real solutions. This podcast was made in association with the School of Medicine, University of Auckland. So welcome to the Revolving Door Syndrome. How are you this evening, Rich? All good. Good. How are you? Good, good. So Rich is another junior pediatric doctor here in Auckland region. And tonight we're going to talk about Māori health and junior doctor burnout. You were in the year above me at med school. And I kind of want to know about your experience coming through med school as a Māori medical student and now being a Māori junior doctor. Oh yeah, keeping it nice and focused and narrow. It's a bit weird for me growing up because I'm in that kind of half-cast position. I'm half Māori, half Pākehā, and a lot of people don't think I'm Māori when they first look at me, at least before I got my Māoriness carved into my arm. Before then, I was in that weird space of being quite a pale Māori, but I did grow up in Māori tikanga, speaking te reo and English fluently. And then I suppose being Māori did afford me a few opportunities I might not have otherwise had coming into university. So before I even got into uni and med school, I managed to get some work experience with a, a Māori surgeon, uh, Jeremy Stanley, former rugby player, orthopaedic surgeon, really nice guy. And he that's what really piqued my interest in coming into medicine and then just having to meet the required grades. Going through the first year was a bit of a shock for me when you kind of end up coming face to face with some of the not so subtle racism that's out there, particularly from other students trying to get into medical school it's a very competitive scheme as you know totally um and just going back to the thing where some people don't realize I'm Māori when they first start talking to me and then when they do and they realize we're competing again to med school and they realize that I am Māori and I have a bit of an advantage getting in you can just see that attitude change this one guy we were just used to just sitting next to each other in lectures chatting going through the motions of first year Biomed, and then I mentioned that I was a member of MAPAS. Then you just see him double take and just the attitude change completely. I find that quite interesting that people have that sort of response when people are a MAPAS student or, or enter med school through mm. the MAPAS system. And yet I don't hear a peep when people talk about things like the, the rural admission scheme or whatever no. we call it this day. You know, it's it's all well and good for people who come from a you know rural background or even not that rural background. Because I think recently around the time when I um, started medical school, the admission scheme had changed. So mm. it, it was a rural and regional admission scheme or something. 
something yeah. like that. So where I'm from is Walkworth, which is relatively rural. It's a small town that serves a large rural population. And because it was part of the Auckland region, it was no longer no, counted as rural. No. So I was in the general population, yet people who come from places like Palmerston North or Nelson that aren't really that rural got to come in on this rural and regional admission scheme. Yeah. So it, it just makes it very odd that um, people have this big reaction to people having this advantage coming into med school through yeah. this MAPA scheme. And yet there's a whole other cohort of people and maybe a lot of these people come from rural um, places are Caucasian and no one bats an eye when they get a advantage to come into med no, school. No, but and then I suppose it's worth highlighting it's not meant to begrudge them either. No. And the animosity comes from people who don't understand the purpose of schemes like this, why it's important to have representation across the board, kind of reflecting the diverse culture in New Zealand that you want to reflect in your medical workforce. I don't know, how did you feel as a rural girl, but not (laughs) (laughs) qualifying in the eyes of the university? (laughs) In terms of the rural admission scheme, I just thought, oh, because I knew people who were just two years older than me who were able to get in through the yep. rural admission scheme. I mean, at the end of the day, I still got in through the, the general. Mm. And so it would have potentially been a little bit easier if I'd gone through the r- rural admission scheme. But I guess I was lucky that I was able to work hard and that I had a lot of support from my family, albeit my mum, quote unquote, never, ever thought I would get into medical school. But here I am. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. You are. We're all lucky, but you also got to work hard, and that's the oh, same totally. for anyone going through any of those schemes as well. Is that um, even though there are dedicated places for multi Pacific students, rural students, regional students, they still have to meet the standard. And admittedly, when I came to university as a first year medical student, I didn't have a lot of exposure to people who were Maori and Pacifica. You mm. know, coming from Walkworth, it's a you know predominantly white town. I knew what the purpose of like MAPAS and the regional rural admission scheme was. I wasn't necessarily strongly for it, but I wasn't mm. against it. It was just something that I didn't know much about. But having, you know, gone through med school and learned more and more about the inequities in health for Maori and Pacifica and the fact that our workforce doesn't represent our, our population, I really understood that this is something that's so important. Yeah. I look at the workforce right now and I see there's a huge gap in uh, Maori and Pacifica health practitioners. Did you carry any resentment with you towards anyone in in terms of like people who got in through the um map escape no definitely not anyone in your class who you felt were undeserving no no i don't think so because i think a lot of people potentially people who don't get into medical school for example Mm. you read things on facebook comments and reddit and all this kind of stuff about people who are like oh you know map students get it so easy like they don't have Mm. to like get very high grades to get in blah 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 i got a plus and i didn't get in etc etc you know on reflection after having finished medical school met other medical students in my day-to-day work i see the work that we do is the grades is not actually that important (laughs) peek behind the curtain i know some (laughs) dumb doctors oh dumb (laughs) but (laughs) They're not bad doctors. Not bad doctors, no. no. But there's a lot lot to be said about what experiences you had before coming into med school that really shapes what kind of doctor you're going to be. And I think, in my honest opinion, I think grades and book smarts is only 50% of the job. I would Mm. say at least 50% of the job is actually communication and critical thinking. And the things you get grades for, science and clinical knowledge and clinical skills, barring communication, those are things you can learn. Those are things that are easy to learn, but things that are harder to adjust and 
learn and it all changes like your personality the way you talk to people and the way you can relate to them totally and if you're a caucasian new zealand european person and you can't change that about you and just i can't change that the fact that i'm asian but it does does mean that if I have an Asian patient, specifically Chinese patient, then I probably will be able to relate to them better than the new or some other Caucasian doctor. That's just facts and you can't really change it about yeah. them. And it's more based on life experience as totally. opposed to anything that you've anything that you're doing right or doing wrong. It's just that you can relate to them and they feel that they can relate to you. You can be the smartest doctor in the world and know every single drug, every single treatment plan, but if you can't communicate with your patient, then what's the point? Totally. And if you can't get the patient on your side, how are they going to take the medicine you prescribe them? Yeah. Where did you come from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up out in West Auckland in a little town called Ranui. People who are from Auckland, probably familiar, but have probably never been. And it's probably a place that they would drive through quickly. On the way to where? On the way to out to Piha or <laughs> out to the golf course in Swanson mm-hmm. or something like that. Very deprived area, DSL 1, DSL 2. I was lucky to have a pretty stable household growing up and I'm eternally thankful for that because I think I owe everything that I've achieved so far in my life to mum and dad, absolutely. And the same can't be said. For example, my neighbours, my neighbours' kids whose house got raided for a meth lab when I was about five or the kids in the caravan park up the road who were, who had come to school covered in sores and just obvious signs of poverty. So yeah, I grew up out there and spent the first, oh, what, 20-something years of my life there. And I'm glad to have made it out, but mum and dad are still there, still go visit them. Mm-hmm. can be a nice place, but also can be a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Got to be realistic about it. Yeah, that's where I grew up. But my family is from Te Araroa on the East Cape. That's where dad's from. And then they all moved up to Auckland, him and his however many siblings I keep losing track how many aunties and uncles I have classic Māori problem and oh same I mean I've got a bunch of auntie and uncles and I don't know what their names are oh <laughs> if I go to the coast and I meet a Māori fellow they'll say that'd be like this is your auntie I'm like of course of course it is <laughs> I just believe you but you know mum and dad met out west in Tiaratu and then raised me up in Ranui. so through and through westy take me out of the west can't take the west out of me <laughs> So it's interesting, a lot of people believe in meritocracy, right? That like you work, that the harder you work, the better you get in life. And if you're doing well in life, it's because you worked hard and you deserved it. But we talk about this whole thing, like I was saying, I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah. We talk about how we're lucky that we grew up in the families that we grew up in. My parents were immigrants that came only a couple of years before I was born. So the, the upbringing that I had early on in my life was very like my parents were very working class when yeah. when I was growing up when I was little but you know my parents were worked very hard and they were able to have uh, climb socially and I had a very middle class upbringing probably from around the age of high school at least so I'm very lucky that my parents had a very good grasp on how to provide a good warm safe home and encourage me with extracurricular activities and yeah. education and, and all that and I never went without anything but my parents Parents weren't wealthy when I was growing no. up and that can't be said for like lots of other people no and people talk about oh if you work really hard um you'll get there but the fact is that different people are born with different situations and some people get more when they're born right yeah <laughs> and so I just know that if I didn't have my parents support and they helped me a lot financially in the first year of medicine so they could just focus on trying to get into medicine because I couldn't really live at home and study at the same time and if I didn't have that probably I wouldn't have got into med school. No. The other thing to say is you know, you, people do work hard. They do 
earn things and they should feel proud of that. Yeah. But it is recognizing the base and not everyone has the same kind of base that they've come from. Like likewise, my parents could never have afforded med school at all. Not in a million years. As soon as I graduated at all I was already making more than my dad who has worked for nearly forty years at his current job. And you know, they spent what money they had just trying to push me through school and give me what I needed to be successful and like I said, I'm very grateful for that. And at the same time, I still did work hard. And I don't feel bad towards anyone who had a bit of a leg up in life. Because I went to school out west in Rānui, Rānui Primary, represent. I don't think I've ever <laughs> had a doctor come out of that school before. Then I snuck my way into the back door at Mount Albert Grammar, which is a big central school. And by gosh, I have never seen so many white people in my life. <laughs> Growing up out west in Ranui, and I'm the whitest guy in the school. Oh, really? <laughs> I speak fluent Māori, and we had one Asian dude who, really nice guy, very good at maths, but I'd never seen any other Asian besides him. I'd never seen as big a collection of white people as when I moved to, well, when I went to school at Mount Albert Grammar. It was a bit of a change for me, because I just grew up around Māoris and Pacific Islanders. But And then making friends with these guys, friends with their families, but then getting to see the life that they lived growing up compared to me. And I wasn't like... Like bitter or anything about. It. I was like, "Yo, this is cool." <laughs> I go around to their houses and it's like five stories, and you know, it's nice go, to oh, have yeah. friends with nice places, oh, yeah, yeah. right? You got a pool, bro. <laughs> Yo, hook us Sleepover. Up. It's not something that I ever felt like I was missing because totally. I, I, I wasn't missing. There's nothing I really. I was happy with what I had, and I often felt at times I'd be ungrateful to my parents for what they gave me. Yeah, it is true that privilege is a. It is real. And a lot of people don't realise once they've become successful at something, what help they had along the way. Because mm. I firmly believe no one ever achieves anything by themselves. There's always help along the way, whether it's family, friends, significant others or organisations. And yes, hard work is important, but also just being cognisant that you had help yeah. and appreciating that. And as a parent, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with trying to do everything you can absolutely to help your parent, not. right? And that's why help your children. I can't yeah. fault them, but I, I suppose there's nothing more annoying to me in this world than people who don't acknowledge their, what they have. Yeah, and it's nothing, it's not about being ashamed, no. getting somewhere because be of thankful. help, but just be, yeah, be, be thankful, thankful and recognise that maybe other people had it harder to get yeah. there. and it's not like it's like a, a tick box of privilege and not privilege. Yeah. It's a scale. I'm totally. privileged compared to some others and disadvantaged compared to others as well. I, I feel like I'm able to acknowledge that and that I do feel lucky for what I have been given and proud of what I've achieved with that as well. Growing up in Ranui, how did you end up speaking fluently in Māori? Like it was just through your family or through school? So or? I never realised my dad could speak Māori until I was about 21 at my cousin's wedding and he stood up and did a big full-on mihi and then I looked at him like, where the <laughs> fuck have you been hiding that <laughs> for my whole life? Because I went to... I was schooled in, as I said, Rani Primary. Whakatipukākono was the name of the unit, and it was a bilingual unit. So I grew up, English is my first language, that's what we spoke around the house. Dad would say the occasional Māori words at me, hoha, because I'm being annoying, <laughs> or boy, that's not a Māori word, but feels like it is, because all my uncles call their sons boy. Māori was spoken in our household, but not in a conversational way, but then when I went to school, I started learning Māori and English at the same time and you do everything in both languages and then from there after I finished primary school 
I went to Corfi Intermediate, which is also a central school, but I went into their total immersion unit. That was Tefano Ponomu. That was different. That was a huge change for me because we did everything in Te Reo Māori and everything, like everything except English, which sometimes felt like an optional subject at that school, <laughs> um, which is a mainstream school, but they had three classes that were just fully immersed in Māori. So for two years, all I spoke was Māori at school and I maintain to this day that there has not been a harder subject even throughout med school and pediatric training there's not been anything harder than doing algebra in Te Reo Māori <laughs> particularly when your that. alphabet doesn't have the letter X look I can't even I don't even remember how to do algebra in English to be honest <laughs> <laughs> we don't need algebra anymore do we yeah the other thing that's worth saying is you know, not a lot of Māori people do speak Māori like at least fluently it is making a resurgence which is really good but even still, the majority of the adult Māori population can't speak Te Reo Māori. But that does not lessen their own kind of mana totally. or wairua. To me, what's more important is what I call growing up Māori. And you know, that's growing up around your family, learning Māori tikanga, the Māori way of life. I grew up doing kapahaka. You could always pick me out on stage because I was the whitest dude up there. <laughs> My chest was just like glowing like a beacon compared to everyone else. But it's like what we were talking about before with like life experiences. That's what kind of builds that foundation for understanding and making building those relationships with people and now in my current job with patients being able to acknowledge their own experiences their own the things that happen to them when they grew up their own relationship with te ao maori and compare it to yours and i feel one of the things that the university teaches you that i could never really get behind is, is it's such an artificial way the way they teach us on how to engage with Maori patients you probably remember from med school when you've been when they have like the communication lessons and oh, introduce yourself you know say your pepeha and ask them where they're from and I find that such a weird thing if someone came up to me and said my mountain is Mount Albert <laughs> it's important but I feel like the university pushes it so hard in a way that it becomes unnatural. And it feels and a little bit tokenistic. It does. It? it does. And no, not every single uh, Māori person will know their pipiha and their whakapapa. And that's not as important to them. How would you, if, if you could change the way that communication with Māori patients is taught in a medical school, how would you change it? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I really don't. Because I'm trying to think of the ways I learnt all these things. And it's not something that was a lesson, like a formal lesson, mm -hmm. at least. It's just things I picked up. And how do you, it's like, how do you tell someone to talk to, how do you tell someone to make friends with someone? Like, there's not a recipe. It's <laughs> not a speech you can say. The things that we're taught in med school, or even primary school, high school, if you grew up in New Zealand, about the mihi and pepeha, those are very formal things. Mm. Yeah, those are things you do on the paipai, at the marae, at a tangi or at a pōwhiri, that kind of thing. It's not everyday talk, at least not amongst modern Māori. I suppose it's just applying what communication skills you already know and have, and just trying to relate to someone who comes from a different place than you, not necessarily a Māori person. There are things that are very important to Māori in general, and I'm being very generalised here, but things like family things, like hokainga or where, they, where they're from, those things are important. Like this whole thing about hapu, iwi, marae, some Māori don't know those things. Some people, some Māori don't know their iwi or hapu or even how to talk to them. 
And I can imagine that for some Māori people who are probably a bit more detached from their whakapapa mm. and their, their iwi, or maybe, like you say, they don't maybe they don't even know their iwi. Yeah, it no, can absolutely. It can almost bring about a sense of shame as well in some of yeah. these people if you ask them. And, and you can alienate they don't know. them. Exactly. And put up a wall in between you and them, make it harder to get what you need to know. You probably won't have that trouble with someone from the rural areas. They're hearty people, but particularly the um, urban city Māori. Life's different up here compared to out in the WAPs. I feel like these days, at least when I was growing up and going through my childhood and adolescence, a lot of modern Māori culture is now being really heavily influenced by American black culture, or African-American mm-hmm. culture, I should say. And I think it's just the they feel like they can relate to these people who have been marginalised and feel oppressed. And you see a lot of that, particularly in urban Māori youth. Yeah. And I just want to bring it back to your dad. So mm. you're saying that you didn't realise that your dad um, spoke Māori until you were you know, in your early 20s. I knew he could or say speak. words, but I didn't realise he could do a whole bloody speech. That was a real shock yeah. to me. Why do you think you didn't know that until you were 21? Like, why do you think he didn't make it known that he didn't speak that well? Me and my dad have a interesting relationship a really good relationship he's a really good mate of mine but i suppose that it's just not one of the things we really talked about much growing up at least not when we're because we grew up in auckland but whenever we go back home um he kind of somehow shifts and becomes a bit more maori <laughs> when i say home back to tiaro on the east cape because that's where he grew up he grew up there until he was i think early teenager and if you want a picture of the place just think of a farm river mountain and a small town with a convenience store a police station and a pub i say police station it's a hut i say a (laughs) pub it's a room the cop there is as likely to pull you over for smoking marijuana to smoke it with you um yeah yeah good town it is a beautiful town it's a lot of dutch there for some reason i like to travel there because um you can walk around the point it's the easternmost part of new zealand and if you don't count chatham islands and does. And first place in the country to see the sunrise. Um, that's why it's called Te Tai Rafiti, which means the shining sun. But yeah, he grew up rural and Māori, and his mother was a Māori teacher. So honestly, I don't know why I thought he could never speak Māori, because he probably could. I don't know, just end up being a little shock. Because growing up, to me, he was not only my dad, he was also like my rugby coach, my softball coach. But all we talk about is sports and school and what he does at work and stuff like that and what he gave me to help him with because he's an electrician by trade. And when I was younger, he'd take me along to jobs and shove me in the roof of a house so I could run a wire for him, that kind of thing. But we never really got talking about that kind of stuff. So it was a surprise, but a pleasant one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys ever talk about the experience of being Māori? Not really. Not really. So a thing happened about five years ago when I was out with my dad and we were at a uh, kind of a public event and he got accused of doing something very bad very bad he was innocent obviously but we ended up having to go through a whole court process and I wrote a supporting statement and things for him um, and he was eventually found innocent of all charges but I remember sitting down with the lawyer and reading the statement that the accuser wrote about my dad and I was I've never been so angry that sounds really frustrating just because of the way he described my father and how blatantly racist it was and how he described him as a very you know scruffy disgusting looking man who did not look like he belonged at this event and had no idea of what he was doing there and you know talking to the lawyer afterwards she said that there was no doubt that this was taken so far and that the police did nothing to help we had to do all the kind of evidence looking for ourselves but there was no doubt impacted by the color of his skin and i've never seen my dad 
cry. The only time was when his mother died. But just seeing how that kind of thing impacted him, because he's a wonderful man. He raised you. Oh, <laughs> but it, it was a real eye-opener for me, just getting a glimpse into this person's mind and how they immediately made these assumptions about him. That's the thing, isn't it? It's not only if people were falsely accusing your, your dad. It's The evidence shows is that, you know, Māori people who are accused of the same um, crime as a non-Māori is that they're much more likely to be found guilty yeah. of something. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, is if they're found guilty, they have much longer sentences and are much more likely to be incarcerated. Absolutely. So all of the things are against you, right? Yeah, and I know little to nothing about legal proceedings and all these kind of things, but you know, you always hear that thing of innocent until found guilty. Totally. That wasn't what it felt like at all, mm. especially when we were the ones who had to go asking the arena for the security tapes and all that kind of stuff just to prove that he hadn't done mm. something. You know, I've experienced that kind of thing myself, where particularly with the police, don't have a good working relationship with them. Mm. Maybe it's because of the car I drive. It's a Mazademia from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Fits the description, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, mouldy male driving a blue Mazademia, dent in the back, suspected stolen. But being pulled over one time, hadn't done anything at all, wasn't speeding, was wearing my seatbelt, had my full license. Officer, why'd you pull me over? Oh, because you look like one of our usuals. Just quite, wow. bla- just quite blatantly. And I was just gobsmacked oh so check my stuff let me go that's crazy and that's not the only time something like that's happened one time when i was on my way to a night shift at hospital get pulled over same car mesodemia was wearing a singlet so my tattooed arm was out the window maybe i shouldn't do that in the future policeman pulls up on his bike next to me looks at me Goes back behind flashes, pulls me over. And then he, you know, gets out of the car. He's like, hey, bro, uh, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, I'm on my way to work. Oh, what do you do? I'm a doctor and I show him my ID. He's like, from there, it's no longer bro. It's sorry, sir. I'll let you go on your way. Why'd you pull me over? Oh, you know, there was a ram raid up the road and we saw your car driving away from him. I'm like, oh, does my car look like it's been in a ram raid? <laughs> it's only the back that's dented, by the way. Unless I reversed into the shop A reverse raid? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's only two. Of the several times I've been pulled over for nothing. I'm sorry that's happened to you, but I'm also unfortunately not surprised, you know? It's it's a small thing. Nothing happened in the end, but it's not that small a thing to me. For me, I don't think I've ever even been pulled over really? by the police. Yeah, <laughs> ride with me, me sometimes. Me as an Asian woman, I have um, <laughs> never had an accident or anything like that. But you know, it's a, it's that whole stereotyping thing, right? You know, yeah. for example, if I make a small mistake or something when I'm driving and nothing bad happens. Me, as a clearly outwardly Asian female, yeah. I get this feeling of shame. Oh my gosh, like yeah, yeah. I have let, once again, <laughs> let down my entire demographic because once again, there's going to be another yeah. driver who's, oh, these yeah. freaking like Asian female drivers. You're, you're conforming <laughs> to the stereotype. <laughs> exactly. Be better. Oh, they're all so bad at driving. Not your future. <laughs> it's like, you know, when I'm driving my car, it's probably not stolen. <laughs> What about going uh, through through med school as well? Have you, mm. Did you notice in any racism towards you as a Māori medical student? Hmm. Honestly, not not a lot. At least not from our cohort, mm-hmm. like from my colleagues, well, my former classmates now colleagues. I suppose I feel like that first year in particular, the competition brings out the worst in people. I, I think for some people it's not even to be a doctor it's to show that they can do the hardest thing and 
be the most successful, which is the wrong reason to go into medicine. But once you get in, you've, you'll often find that the right people got in. And that's not to say some people who are deserving missed out, absolutely. But the ones who got in, by far and large, are very much deserving to be there. They appreciate everyone, their classmates, regardless of their kind of background, their race, their upbringing, their ideologies, that kind of thing. So, no, I had a pretty good relationship with vast majority of my classmates. I can't think of anyone I dislike. But when I became a doctor... <laughs> oh, here we here's go. The next here's chapter. the tea. Oh, yeah. There was this one time when I was a registrar doing a clinic with a family, and I had a student in with me. And um, doing my thing, listening to the child's chest, made a plan, sent them on their way. They seemed happy. They were polite throughout. Thought it went fine. And then when the door closed, my student turned to me. And she told me that as I was listening to the child's chest, the mother saw my tattoo on my arm. So for people listening, I have a full kind of tamoko. goes from my shoulder down to my elbow and circumferential as well. So it's pretty full on. And that was a personal choice for me, not making a statement or anything like that. It has a personal meaning to me. Your body, your choice. Absolutely. My body, my choice. There's a topic. Anyway, (laughs) so my student said to me that while I was listening to the patient's chest, the mother noticed my tattoo and she turned to my student with a bit of a cheeky grin in her eyes like oh is he Māori I'm like and my student was yes oh is he gonna start stamping his feet yelling and screaming at us and I didn't hear any of this my student didn't say anything to that bless her and then when she told me this I laughed and then I realized oh that's really racist yeah that's that's really bad unnecessary yeah so then I went out of the room and stamped my feet and did a haka no um (laughs) and it just makes me wonder what other people are thinking when they see me in a relatively senior role, depending on the context. What other thoughts are going through their heads? Yeah, that was a not-so-nice experience. I don't know, have you had any bad experiences being an Asian doctor? I haven't had any particularly myself. I, I felt that during the at least the beginning times of the COVID pandemic, I was gearing up for it because yeah, I was yeah. hearing stories from other people, mm. other doctors or nurses in New Zealand and around the country, mm. around the world, who had experiences of people being like, oh, I don't want an, I don't want an Asian doctor or I don't want a Chinese no. doctor, regardless no. of what kind of Asian yeah. people were. I don't want to, I don't want a Chinese doctor or I don't want a Chinese nurse. I don't want the plague, COVID, all that kind of stuff. Luckily for me, that didn't happen. I think if somebody did say that, I probably yeah. would have been like, fine. Yeah. Yeah, you'd you sick your pet bats on them, wouldn't you? What's that? S- sick your pet bats on them. Yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> I'd be like, that's fine. I don't want to work anyway. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> I had an interesting one the other day in ED where a mother came in and she has two daughters and one of them is adopted and that's she has a daughter who is who is fair skinned and red hair and then her adopted daughter is Maori and very much looks Maori brown. Brown skin, brown eyes, brown hair. And she, without any prompting whatsoever from me, said to me, I noticed a difference in care that my Māori child receives. My fair-skinned child is much more likely to be referred through to a specialist, be referred through to hospital, whereas my Māori child is, when I go to the GP, we're given a spacer and sent home, even though she's much more sick. Because I've never heard anyone... Even though we all taught about Māori health inequities and implicit bias and institutionalised racism, I've never heard, actually heard a patient verbalise it. And that was just like, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long ago that all this education about institutional racism and Māori health and stuff started in mm. medical school. I think 
for me, I have to realise that actually some of the people who are doctors who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, yep. they didn't have that same education no. that, that we did. So I have to recognise that they, they have some catching up to do. But it should be well known now that in terms of Māori health inequities, that Māori on average do have worse health at every age. And yeah, every, um, every single age. Every, every single <laughs> age and at every level of deprivation. But we're less likely to get multiple sclerosis. So suck on that. <laughs> And, and to recognise that the worst Māori health outcomes, people should be like, well, actually, maybe we should be like, you know, having more treatments for Māori. But instead, for some reason, the inverse happens. And I just don't understand it. Well, it's Māori patients are less likely to be to have investigations ordered. They're less mm. likely to be referred um, mm. through to secondary care, to specialist care, compared to non-Māori patients with the same presenting complaint. And I don't see how that's justifiable. And I'm not, I'd hope that people aren't making conscious decisions to make that gap happen or make that thing be a thing and that it is something that they don't realise is happening but it's astounding and then you get people throwing their toys when you suggest reasons or ways of improving it and that's why we have certain schemes and why there's so much emphasis on providing access and care to disadvantaged people. In your opinion how how do you think we should change things to treat the inequities for Māori health? It's, I think a lot of it comes down to access. I mean, that's not just for Māori health, it's the de- deprived, yep. the you know, impoverished, you know. Um, impoverished for, is any, anyone who's impoverished, yeah, right? Like um, you don't have to be Māori to benefit from these sorts of things. Yeah. It's for everyone. It just so happens that the most impoverished tend to be Māori and Pacific, totally. tend to be out in South and West Auckland. And that's why we should be aiming to increase access to medical care, primary care, interventions and screening programs, all that kind of stuff. And why money should be put into these areas so we achieve better health outcomes for everyone. Is that, if you've ever seen that nice cartoon and explaining the difference between the quality and mm. inequity of three people standing behind a fence trying to watch a game. You've got their different heights. You've got a young child, a teenager, and an adult. And if, if you all give them the same block to stand under, the adult can see over the fence. The teenager can just maybe see the top of the fence, but the child can't see under the fence. But if you give the child a bigger thing, he can see over the fence. You give the teenager a slightly bigger stool. He can also see over the fence. And the adult doesn't need quite as much help. That's always been one of my favourite kind of cartoons. I remember... Paparangi Reed in one of her first year lectures there was a slide and that image always stuck with me. Totally because that's that whole thing that we've seen evidence again and again that all these one size fits all interventions they don't treat the inequities in fact some of them make them worse. One of the things that we have um, in place is was like free GP visits for under 13 or under 14 or something which is great that's great that children like under that age group get free GP visits but the people that it probably benefits most is still the people who could have afforded to take their kids to see the GP in the first place because having chats with other people I realize that actually if families go to this go to a GP practice and obviously the parents if they go to see the GP they have to pay Mm. but if they've racked up a bill at this gp practice sometimes they don't feel comfortable bringing their children even though the children will be free because they might you know be asked about this bill that they haven't paid and so that's another barrier to access yeah and then while we're touching on gp practices there's been a shift in the primary healthcare model a particular primary health organization Um, oh do you mean east tamaki healthcare slash the local doctors yeah where it's gone away from a family-centered 
care approach mm. to a walk-in see any random gp which i think is the worst way oh the to worst provide absolutely a continuity of care for a family when i grew up my um gp was dr christopher smith and he was awesome and i knew him from birth he delivered me and i knew him well heading well into my medical career as well and he was the only doctor i ever saw growing up and he knew me and i felt that we had a relationship and it's just now when you go and see the GP, it's someone you've never met before. They have to go through your file and then you get surprised. But that only depends on where your GP is and who yeah. your GP is. Because and, it, and then, But then we get surprised why people just forego going to the GP because it still costs money and it goes floods the emergency departments with things that probably don't need to be seen in an emergency department. Totally. And I'm working at Kids First Middlemore Hospital and that's what we're seeing is that there are a lot of children who are unwell mm. being brought to the emergency department who are unwell but don't actually need emergency care but their family can't get in to see their GP or for other reasons yeah. can't bring their kid to the GP practice in the times that they are open or they aren't getting um, good quality of care. And I take issue with some of the way that they've organised their primary care, because like you say, there's no continuity of care. So you, sometimes I'm getting children who have very complex health needs, who, because of you know poverty, their whole mm. family is enrolled in these practices. But they're, they're getting tired of having to explain all of the health conditions every time every they time see a new a person. person. And I'm like, totally. That's not acceptable for a child who's got eight different things going on and seven different yeah. regular medications. I mean, in the States, general practice is known as family medicine. They're family doctors. And mm. that's what I think they should be. And it seems like today the model's really shifted more towards let's see as many patients as we can, make money type yeah. approach, which is definitely the wrong way to be headed and some other things is I've heard that children are having to be seen by their GP before they're allowed to get their routine immunizations. Oh, yeah. And there's absolutely no evidence base or guideline from a pediatric point of view that's standard yeah. of care. And because of these practices that aren't allowing appointments, these families would have to wait for hours in their waiting room before their child is able to be seen by the GP to have the okay for an immunization. Mm. And these families don't want to do that. And I'm no. like, that's fair enough. We're no. in COVID times and you don't want to be in a waiting room full of people coughing right and the families who struggle to get into the gp anyway often have other things on their mind like their three jobs that they're working they don't have time to spend waiting, waiting for GP three hours practice. and i brought up this concern with old mate david seymour who is my local mp Devo. and i asked him have you heard of east tamaki Healthcare or the local doctors and he said no and do you know why he hasn't heard of them because they don't put their practices in places like Parnell, Epsom, Remuera. Mm. They put their practices in place like Glen Innes, Papakura. Ranui Medical Centre. <laughs> All of those places heavily concentrated in yep. areas that are heavily impoverished. It's a shame. It's a real shame. Yeah, because primary care is where we could have the best bang for our buck. Absolutely. Because if you can stop them getting to hospital, then you're already fixing so many problems. Totally. Yeah. So, one last final question is, what dinosaur is your favourite and why? Do you know um, the ones with like the, the rock heads? The pachycephalosaurs? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, it really reflects my approach to life. Just run at it with your fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I move. love that. I love That's that. That's a good one. Inspirational. Yeah. I do aim to inspire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rich. All Have good. a good night. Thanks, Nina. Revolving Door Syndrome pays respects to elders past and present. 
We acknowledge Māori as tangata whenua and te tiriti o Waitangi partners in Aotearoa, New Zealand.